Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we will answer as we get our minds and heart on Jesus. So we're going to explore this idea today of history, longevity, timelines. Mankind loves to classify historical events, organize them according to their own limited perspective. And this has caused us over time to invent names, assign ages to history like the Stone Age, the Bronze Age, the Iron Age. You've all heard about this, right, in school. We got the Industrial Revolution, the Atomic Age. I think right now we're in the Information Age or the Misinformation Age. I don't know which one. But some may, uh, all these ages are classified really by what we think is most influential in that particular timeline. Uh, some are classified due to the kind of materials or technologies that might be popular. Some may say that we are in the Information Age due to our digital and our social media, the ease uh, of which we can get information on the internet, which has made disinformation spread quite rapidly as well. We do this even for the biblical ages. We have the patriarchal age, the mosaical age, and some say we're in the Christian age right now, or the Christian era. We typically call these dispensations, which is a very smart sounding word simply for administration or economy. And we're actually going to explore a verse in the Bible today that talks about that. And when we talk about dispensation or administration or God's economy, what in the world do we mean? Well, we're, we're going to explore that idea a little bit today. Aside from assigning ages to our timelines, we also like to identify generations, like the greatest generation, uh, the baby boomers, generation X, millennials, and all this, like I said, is a human perspective. A hundred years from now, these probably may not matter to you at all. Uh, but if you're a student of mankind and you like to explore all these things and all these classifications, that may be one thing. You might go down that deep rabbit hole. It might lead you to a lot of different places. But I often like to reflect on, well, what is God's perspective on all this? Where does God sit? From his perspective, what can we say? What should we think is most important? Because we really have two choices, right? We can decide that I'm going to just live my life. This life really is about me. I'm at the center of the universe. And it's about my happiness and what I want to go with. Or I could try and think, well... This is really God's story, isn't it? I mean, God made the world and he made us. And so if I ask myself the question, how do I fit into his story? I think that's a better way of thinking about it, right? And so if I try to look at the Bible from that perspective, I'm going to be learning a lot of things. And we're going to look and see what God says about this age that we live in right now. What does he think? is important and and how and what kind of lives can we live that are significant to accomplishing the purpose that God says he wants to do 
at this time. Because our lives are like uh, like smoke. You know, they're here one minute, gone the next. So how can I best live this life towards that purpose? Because I'm looking for something also that's going to happen afterwards. So we're going to look into that. We're going to do an exegetical analysis or a critical analysis on Ephesians chapter 3, verse 2 through 11. So if you want to join me in this little Bible exegesis, take out your Bibles, take out your notebooks, and we're going to examine three points in this passage. We're going to look at what God says is a mystery, what God then decides to reveal, and what this passage says about God's multifaceted wisdom. That's going to be our three-point outline for this afternoon. When God talks about a mystery, hmm, that's can be very interesting. Let's look here at Ephesians 3, 1 through 4, and see what he says about that. Paul writes here saying, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you, the mystery was made known to be my revelation, as I have briefly written above, And by reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. There's a few words in this passage worth studying. The etymology of the Greek word translated mystery refers to something hidden, something that nobody knows. Literally in the Greek, it means to shut the mouth. Uh, Nothing is known, right? And the etymology of the word translated administration, that's the one I was talking to you about before, it really refers to a stewardship or a dispensation. This is where we get our English word economy from. And when you think about economy or administration or dispensation, it really means to administrate something, to to manage something, to, to govern over something. And so this passage makes it clear that whatever is going on in the universe is clearly under God's administration, clearly under God's control, and including this mystery that Paul talks about, this mystery of the administration of God's grace, how God has managed to give his grace to all peoples, because that's apparently what God cares about, who receives his grace. To God, the administration of his grace is the most important topic that we encounter in this era, or really in any era since mankind has been on the scene. So God is in control, according to this passage, of this mystery, which is tied to this grace that he wants to give. God had hinted about some of this administration of his greats through the writings of the prophets, but they were not able to discern it fully in his time. It still remained hidden. And as Paul said at the beginning of this passage, we can now read this mystery and get insight into this mystery as we read his words, which is an amazing thing. Because we're talking about a revelation. Paul talks about that a little bit here in 1 Corinthians 2, 6-8. He says that right now, as Christians, we speak a wisdom, a wisdom among the mature, not a wisdom of this age 
or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. So it was something that was hidden throughout all the ages, but that was going to result in the glory of his people. And he says, none of the rulers of this age knew it. They did not know this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So here we see uh, something contrasted here. We see reason and revelation. The Holy Spirit differentiates between the wisdom of this age We can call it reasoning, we can call it science, and revelation, something that is only revealed by God, something that man cannot perceive or cannot get to by science or by studying or even by reasoning because it only comes by God's revelation. That is how God works. This reflects the fact that it does not come from man. That's why it's important for us to understand this as Paul is trying to teach the Ephesians about this. He says, this is the kind of revelation that you can only get to when you read what I've written because God revealed it to me. Because if a man could say, oh yeah, I figured it out. I figured out how God administers his grace. Then we would say that it had to be a wisdom of man, right? If you were to be able to figure it out like a puzzle. But the reason God had it hidden and then revealed it It was to his glory as well, so that we could say that it's something that only comes from God himself. Paul continues saying here, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me, by the working of his power. This grace, and again, he's emphasizing the grace, the administration of God's grace, was given to me, the least of all saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ, to shed light. That's what he saw himself as an apostle, to give this light that was unknown before to all the Gentiles. About what? About the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So I know it might sound a little heady to you what we're talking about here, but I I am fascinated by this. We haven't gotten to the good part just yet, uh, to the punchline, which is coming in the next few passages here in Ephesians. But think about this. During this this church age, let's call it this church age, and you're going to see in a moment why calling this time that we live in the church age makes sense. During this time, God has chosen to reveal something to his people, something that could only be revealed, that he says here, through the Holy Spirit. And little by little, we, his people, we who believe that the word is from God, the Bible, it comes straight from God. We've been unveiling this truth, this wisdom, giving us deeper understanding, giving us deeper insight into his word, which at the same time, helps us understand our place in this administration of grace. Because let me ask you something. If God, who all he's interested is in showing people his grace, the incalculable riches of his love to all the Gentiles, then if I'm, if I want to be a part of that plan, if I see myself as a part of that plan, what should concern me as well? Have you ever wanted to read the Bible in plain English, a language that you can actually understand and follow? Well, there is a translation like that called God's Word Translation by God's Word to the Nations Mission Society. This is the only translation of the Bible in English that follows a dynamic equivalent translation philosophy. 
it makes the Bible very easy to understand and it flows very naturally in the English language. You can follow along my podcast where I read to you from God's Word translation for one whole year. You can search for the podcast on Spotify or your favorite podcast reader. Search for God's Word Translation by God's Word to the Nation Mission Society. You can also look it up under my name, Pedro Gelabert. How should I be a part of this? Or am I just going to worry about, well, well, this is my life. Uh, regardless of what God wants to do, I want my life to look like this. And I have an idea of what my life should be. Or should I be saying, man, you know, if, if God's interest is, is in wanting to reveal this grace to the people, then how do I fit into that? Right? Isn't that the way we should be thinking as this church? And you'll see in a minute why this is so important here. This revelation, brothers and sisters, we're talking about a wisdom. Again, it's not our wisdom. It's funny how sometimes people may think, oh, well, that's your opinion because you call yourself a Christian. And I tell them, I says, you know what? It wasn't my opinion because my opinion would be very different. I had to adopt a different opinion. This is the word of God. It's not my opinion. And so this is something that we also have to reconcile in us. As we get into the word, we get deeper and deeper insight into this revelation. And it helps us grasp the depth of the love of God. The depth of his love for me individually. And the depth of his love for all the people. And how I should become part of how how he says here, of that shedding of the light. So that all the people can know about God's wisdom. Because it is a deep Deep wisdom. It's deeper than man's wisdom. You know, science can only go so much. And we're learning in science every day. We learn new things as we continue to scratch the surface of things. Man loves to write books. I'm a type of marriage counselor. And you wouldn't believe how many books there are on marriage counseling out there. If I were to buy them all and read them all if I could, would I be any wiser? (laughs) I don't think so, to be honest. Uh, Solomon talks about that too here in uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 11 through 13. He says, look, the sayings of the wise are like cattle prods and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. He's kind of getting us to focus, look, on the sayings that are given by one shepherd, as he says here. There's a difference between that, between the sayings of the one shepherd which is like a cattle prod. You know what a cattle prod is, right? So the cattle prod, I love this analogy here because who would like to be prodded with a cattle prod? I mean, can you imagine what that would feel like? We're talking about a stick that has electricity in it. It it releases voltage and that's how you get the cattle and the bulls to move in a direction. I don't know how it worked in the times of Ecclesiastes. I don't think they had electricity. They probably used something else, like something with spurs on it. But he, all, he compares the words to that, meaning they have great potential to encourage you, to move you in a direction, to spur you on, as Paul says, or as the Hebrew writer said, spur you on. And they're like firmly embedded nails. When you nail something with a good nail, two pieces of wood together, they don't move. He says, those are the sayings given by one shepherd. We should be paying attention to that. But then he adds here, beyond these, my son, he says, be warned. Because there is no end to the making of many books. 
That's what I was saying before. People love to write and write about all kinds of different things. And they go into rabbit holes. And the rabbit holes have other rabbit holes. And you keep going, can keep going and exploring all kinds of stuff about man's ideas and fantasies. But all that study, he says here, it's going to wear you out at one point in time. And I love his conclusion. When all has been heard, the conclusion is this, fear God and keep his commandments because this is for all of humanity. There's a lot of stuff that man thinks he knows. And all this wisdom is just really a bunch of different rabbit holes. It's different from the revelation and the wisdom of God. Very, very different. And I love how Solomon contrasted that here in this passage. What should you be concerned about? The writing of many books and exploring all those things? Or the firmly embedded nails and the sayings of the one shepherd. said, so those are the things that you have before you. You know, there's a lot of good things that have paved the way for Western culture to be so powerful and enriching the lives of so many. And that is due to the sayings of this one shepherd, to the sayings of the master. Before Christianity took hold of the world, slavery was something common and accepted. Pedophilia in the Roman Empire was common and was accepted in the Greek and Roman cultures. Women were not considered worthy of financial rights or say. Polygamy was practiced and accepted. Those who were underprivileged and disenfranchised were kept from rising up economically because it was believed that that was their station in life. Mercy and compassion were not practiced on the disabled. And sometimes the disabled people were abused or even killed. Even though some of these things might still be going on in society today, we've come to a place in our culture where these things are actually frowned upon now. And much has changed due to activism. And a lot of this activism has come from who? From people who were concerned with the sayings of the Master. From people who were spreading this mystery of God, the grace of God. And it's been that that has changed the face of the world. That's how powerful this administration of His grace has been. I was watching a debate on YouTube a few weeks ago between two atheists. And what interested me about this debate was that they were talking about the contributions that Christianity had had on the world. And so the atheist who started the debate he was very boastfully challenging anybody to name one good thing, one lasting thing that Christianity had on the world. He was very arrogant. He said that there wasn't any. I don't see any, absolutely no good thing that Christianity has given to the world. And then the other atheist spoke off and he says, you're wrong, my friend. You're greatly mistaken. And he started rattling off a list, some of which I have mentioned already leaving the other atheist with a puzzled and surprised reaction. He was actually speechless because he hadn't considered that these things were true. He had no answer for him. And this guy kept saying, he says, look, because of Christianity, service to the underprivileged and the disenfranchised has changed the values of society via charities, hospitals, schools. Think about who started making public hospitals? Who started making schools to educate the people? Who started enriching society to the point that arts and sciences were flourishing during the age of reason 
and the age of enlightenment, even giving way to important scientific discoveries, all by people who placed their faith in God at the time. Most, if not all, of the known laws of science, not theories, but laws of science, were established during that time. Because true Christians, I believe, pursue wisdom and reason to the glory of God, not to the glory of man. Think about this. Most of the significant activism that also has occurred in the U.S. in the last 100 years have been accomplished by men and women who revere God, who revere the name of God. Literally, the multifaceted wisdom of God continues to transform our society for the better. If these atheists can see it and not deny it, it is apparent then to everyone who is looking at us, which is why we need to be careful how we live our lives. Because we're all threaded into us. Whether you acknowledge it or not, you're all threaded into this plan of God. And God's wisdom transforms. And it's useful for you to navigate this life because it contains His revelation. Not man's wisdom. His revelation, which is beyond what man can achieve. God's word leads you to dependence on God. Man's wisdom leads you to dependence on man. And so Paul finishes off this thought here with this multifaceted wisdom in Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. So Paul's all conclusion in this matter, speaking of this mystery that God kept hidden for the ages to come, what did it have to do? It had to do with the administration of his grace. And now, He's revealing it. Why? So that God's multifaceted wisdom. This is a wisdom that has many, many sides. And not just sides, but it has depths to which mankind was not able to get to. And all this from the Word of God. Why do you think we keep learning from the Word of God? It's been 2,000 years since we've had the whole Word of God given to us. It's been 2,000 years. And we're still learning It has not changed. It's still the same word of God, but it's still instructing us. That's how deep and how rich it is. It's multifaceted. And God is doing something. Notice here that God wants to make his wisdom known through the church. Now he's using the church as his venue to show something to who? He says here, to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. And this is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this verse tells me where God's concern lies and what he's thinking about this age and this time that we're living in. And not just this time, but the time really since Jesus Christ was revealed to be Lord. If you like this podcast, Please show your support by clicking on the support link on my Anchor FM profile. This ensures I will continue producing authentic Christian content as the Lord allows me. Thank you and have a blessed day. God is doing something through you. If you're part of the church, if you're part of this body of Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, you've may have been part of the church. God is using you to display his multifaceted wisdom. And it's not just to the people around here, but 
to the people that we don't, or, or to, I wouldn't say people, but he says powers and authorities in the heaven. I don't know exactly what that entails, but there is something that God is working on here in this little universe of ours, in this little planet of ours, with our little lives, that he's showing his greater wisdom to this authorities in the heavens above. His wisdom is manifold. And at the time that we're speaking now, the church is serving as a testimony to this wisdom, bringing all kinds of people together, people that may not have otherwise come together. And if this makes a statement to people here in this world, if an atheist or if an unbeliever in God can look at the influence that Jesus' words have had on society and see something measurable, some tangible changes that have been made across time. I mean, we can see through that some of God's multifaceted wisdom, can we? So imagine, take that to a greater scale because he's not done yet. God is not done. There's still something that he wants to accomplish. Take that now to a greater scale. And imagine, if you will, what these powers and authorities in the heaven above must be seeing. God is teaching them a lesson. God wants to show them something. God wants to show them, I think, this is my, my personal opinion. Uh, I don't know if, I, I could find biblical support for this, but I don't know if it's all in all because I have a puny little mind and I don't understand everything. But I think that God is really just trying to show that grace, because that's a big part of this, isn't it? The administration of His grace. Grace has a lot to do with this. And I think that God is just showing that grace triumphs over what? Judgment. Right? I think that God is trying to say grace triumphs. It's more important. It's more powerful. It's more lasting than judgment. I think also it's trying to say that we can overcome evil with good. This is another big thing. Because we, think about this, sometimes we get a little impatient with things in our lives and we want stuff to happen quickly. We want somebody be, to be judged quickly. We want consequences to appear quickly for somebody, as long as it's not me. <laughs> If it's me, oh Lord, be patient. <laughs> but when it comes to somebody else, we typically want to see judgment and consequences occur quickly. And when it doesn't, we're like Asaph in Psalm 70. Lord, why do the wicked keep on living? Well, I'm wicked and I'm still living. <laughs> Thank you, God, for grace. I appreciated Kevin's prayer in the Lord's Supper. Did you notice what he prayed for? He said, we're no different than the people who killed the Lord on the cross. We're no different. We're as wicked. But thanks be to God's grace. And thanks be to Him allowing us to participate in this amazing plan. I mean, think about this. If you were the great administrator of God's grace, would you choose these pathetic little people to accomplish something? But he didn't, because he wants us to be included. And so the church speaks very powerfully, more powerfully than any other kind of activism mankind has ever invented. It's the church acting as the light of the world 
and the salt of the earth. By dispensing what? What is God administering? Grace. And we should then all become avenues of the grace of God in its multifaceted form. And that's our purpose, really, as the church. Not our purpose, it's God's purpose. That's what He's trying to do. Now, we can align ourselves to that and really be the one of the many congregations or, or part of the universal church that is accomplishing this. Or we could try and think that we're smarter than that and have some other goal or some other agenda, some other social agenda here while we're here. I don't know, but I... I want to keep true to what God's trying to do here. And so in my life, I'm trying to see, well, how can I merge into that? How is my life merging into that goal that God has? How can I be an agent of that grace? How can I get plugged in to this greater goal of God? Of course, the entryway of this grace that God reveals, as Paul said in Ephesians 3, in one of the verses that we read, is through the gospel. Through this good news of Jesus. As we celebrated the Lord's Supper here, we do that every single week. Because Jesus was the one who opened the door for this grace to be received. And so we celebrate Him. We celebrate the fact that He is alive. Yes, He had to die. He had to suffer. Part of being Uh, An administrator of the grace of God is dying. I have to die to self in order for God to use me as a tool to administer His grace. Because if I don't die, there is no grace coming out of me. It's all selfishness. But I had to die. Jesus showed us as He opened the way that there has to be suffering. That there has to be a death. But He triumphed over that. And He was raised on the third day. And likewise, now I can take advantage of that. And that's why the first step of faith in anybody who wants to follow Christ is being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, as Paul teaches in Romans chapter 6. The first step of dying to self is for me to take that step into the watery grave of baptism and say, Lord, I'm now a tool of the administration of your grace through the gospel of Jesus. And so I find salvation in that. So that many others can also find salvation. So that was the mystery of God. Thank you for accompanying me in our little exegesis this afternoon. Hope I, you know, made you think about some things concerning God's administration of grace, concerning your part in it, concerning this great mystery that perhaps some authorities and powers in heaven, still a mystery to them, maybe, (laughs) to some of them, to some not. It's still a little bit of a mystery to me. I'm trying to read into it and learn and grow. But a lot of it is still kind of hidden. There will be a day though when it will all be revealed. When Jesus comes back, the final revealing. And won't we be glad when everything is revealed? And then there is this multifaceted wisdom that God is working out in each of you. And you know what? Each of us is part of that multifaceted. Different facets, right? What God is trying to show in my life is probably different than what He's trying to show in your life. That's why we get different challenges, different trials that we go through. As individuals and even collectively as a congregation. 
because we're all part of that multifaceted grace that God is trying to reveal. If you're looking at your life at this point in time and you're trying to wonder, well, how do I fit in? Maybe at this point in time, like Lottie said in his opening prayer, some of you are going through some tough things. Some of you are trying to make sense of a suffering that you're undergoing at a time, a trial, a disconnect that you might feel. You're coming here, but you're like, okay, how does my life fit in here? How am I part of this? And you're looking for the answer. Well, you know what? As long as you keep turning to the Lord, He will reveal it to you. He will. But if you turn to man for the answers, that's a deep rabbit hole you're going to go in. You might not come out. And it's going to wear you out, like Solomon said. It's best to keep knocking, searching for the truth. And as Jesus says, first seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else shall be added on to you. And we have our elders up here this afternoon so that you can go and seek the Lord through prayer. That's what they're here for to assist you by praying for you, by giving you counsel, to make sure that ultimately you do get connected to that ultimate plan of God in this church age that we're living right now. Have a great afternoon. God bless you.